This week I was once again positively smitten with the behavior of uh, dear Pope Francis, who some have called the first Episcopalian Pope. But I'm regularly surprised, in a good way, by someone who is a mouthpiece of a large denomination. And that's not something that happens so often these days. With Francis, especially, time and again, I am shocked and surprised by things he does, like not wearing the red slippers and sleeping in a simple dorm room and taking the bus and eating with everyone else. And this week, his latest act of grace was caught in a picture of him in Bethlehem, leaning against the barrier wall, praying. He saw this barrier wall on his way to, to preside at a Holy Eucharist in Bethlehem, and spontaneously, much to the chagrin of his security detail, he asked them to pull over, and he got out and walked to this wall, this wall in Bethlehem that's caused many of our Palestinian brothers and sisters, many other people, much misery. And he leaned against it and he prayed. And not only that, but he prayed underneath the message that must have been what caught his eye for that section of the wall. And the message said, Pope, we need someone to speak about justice. Bethlehem looked like Warsaw Ghetto. What a thing for someone who lives there to say that a place, the holiest land for him, looks like the Warsaw Ghetto. And this man, who's one of the most powerful people in the world, he, he could have gone to a big arena and held a mass. He could write a few books, preach some sermons, issue some encyclicals or bulls. Yet he decided to address the problem, first of all, by praying. I mean, he's also inviting the leaders of, of both countries to come and, and meet with him, which I think is good. But what he chose to do first was prayer. And in doing so, as he has done on many other occasions, in doing so, he humbled himself. Not long ago, I even saw a picture of him giving his confession to a parish priest. Now, we have the sacrament of confession in the Episcopal Church, and I don't know if any of you have taken advantage of it, but it's a really terrifying thing to do. And when I had a confessor, I chose him carefully. He was not Episcopalian, I might add. But Pope Francis saw this parish priest and kneeled before him and, and confessed. Time and time again, in, in, in the face of what he feels like is great evil and suffering, he first responds with prayer and humility. Now, evil and suffering are not forces that move us to humility. Anxiety, anger, action, grief, maybe even violence. Yes, humility. No, 
And the kind of suffering that we read about today in 1 Peter that, that, that the writer alludes to is akin to the suffering that the folks in different portions of Israel are suffering from. Early Christians were a religious minority and they were living in, in pagan cultures in Asia Minor and, and elsewhere. And they were horribly discriminated against. They weren't summarily executed like they were by some of the Roman emperors later. But it was more like a you'd see today in a place like Israel or where you'd see a Palestinian Christian in a Muslim-controlled area or an Israeli Jew in a Muslim-controlled area, a Muslim and Israeli-controlled area. It was that kind of discrimination. But who among us suffers like the ancient Christians did and like folks in the West Bank and other areas of Israel suffer today. Not many of us, I'm afraid. Who among us faces the prospect of martyrdom? Christian writer, early Christian writer Tertullian once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Kind of a morbid thought. But thanks be to God, none of us, hopefully none of us will be will have to be that seed for the church. But most of us here have suffered, and most of us here perhaps are suffering. And we suffer in a multitude of ways. Suffering is a part of life, of course. It's a part of life for all of us at some point. It's even a part of life for those of us uh, who are Christ followers. Peter reminds us today. It's interesting, though, that that our common reaction to suffering has not changed much either. Early Christians reacted to their suffering by asking, why me? And being astonished. And this caught the attention of the writer today. And perhaps they were astonished because back in those days, they believed that Jesus was going to come back at any moment. And that Jesus would physically return at any moment. And somehow they thought it strange that they should be suffering. But, you know, many times our first reaction to suffering or evil that might happen to us is a similar kind of surprise or shock. We quite reasonably ask ourselves, why me when bad things happen? Knowing full well that as members of the human race, we are just likely to suffer as anyone else. What the author says in 1 Peter today might be right, but it's not terribly good pastoral care. It's not anything I would say to any of you in a hospital room or in a family crisis or when you were calling up for help. I mean, how would you react if I called you up hearing about a death or a sickness or a job loss or a family problem? And I said to you after some discussion, well, just rejoice so that you can be glad when God's presence is revealed in your suffering. I would hope that soon after that I would hear dial tone. (laughs) But there is some good today that we hear in 1 Peter that does bear repeating. Even though maybe it's a little obvious, sometimes maybe not. First of all, I think he implies to us that suffering is indeed defined. When we're in the middle of it, we think that it's never going to end. But I'm here to tell you today that suffering has a beginning and a middle and an end. And I can't tell you how many times when I've been suffering and someone sat down 
and stared at me and said, you know, it does have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And like it or not, we as followers of Christ, we proclaim a faith that nudges us and sometimes urges us and, and maybe even drags us or shoves us in the direction of resurrection. We can find, even in our response to suffering, we can find life and grace. And our encouragement here is that instead of looking at our suffering as a strange thing that happens to us, as, as Peter's church folk did, maybe we can look it in the eye because of the kind of God that we believe in. Like Pope Francis, we can stop at the walls bearing the misery of the world and of our lives. We can lean our heads upon them and we can pray. We can, as members of a community of faith, ask others to lean with us, can't we? We can even sometimes ask God or ask one of our community members to, to give us a leg up or a pull up the wall or maybe even to help us in the wonderful work of knocking them down. Evil and suffering prowls all around us like a lion and it does seem like it waits to devour us and it always will. But as Christ followers, we don't just have to respond to suffering with, with helplessness, with trying to fix it or control it, or, or blaming someone else, or by theologizing or, or philosophizing. None of those things will change the reality that bad things happen to us and that they simply do not always make sense. And none of those things will make our suffering make any more sense. Suffering is not just fair, it just is. But notice what the writer of 1 Peter says. He says that God is not exalted through, through how we triumph over suffering or, or, or how we overcome suffering. God is not exalted if we react to suffering in a dignified way. No, God triumphs. God triumphs. The creator of the universe triumphs when we cast our cares upon him when we cast our anxieties upon Him. Evil wants to convince us that we are helpful. We are helpless. Evil wants to convince us that, that we are to be consumed by what's happening to us. But with God's help, we have the power to resist if we first stop and allow God to be God. Having the faith of Christ means that we believe and that we can act on the reality that at the center of the universe, at the ground of all being, that the one true God is a God who loves us actively and totally and freely and constantly and desires nothing but relationship and who desires nothing more for us than to cast our cares upon her. No. We don't have to push in vain against the walls in front of us. We can stop before them, lean into them, and cast our cares upon God. And in doing so, we exalt God. The glory that Jesus speaks of today comes when we cast our cares upon God. Then, 
the God of all grace, the one who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, empower, strengthen, and establish us all. To him be power forever and always. Amen.